We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hey, yo, what's up, everybody? It's me, Joe Pizzapia, and this is the Rotowire DFS podcast sponsored by FanDuel. I am your host, as I am every week here. Uh, it's Monday. We recap everything that happened Sunday. We look ahead to the Monday-Thursday slate. And I'll tell you what, I'm sitting here with my buddy and my good partner here who nearly, nearly pulled the rabbit out of the hat last night on the road in Pittsburgh, but I think a much happier Joe Bartle even in a loss. Joey B, how you be, my friend? I'm being all right. I feel pretty good. You know, you talk about the Packers uh, coming up just a little bit short. I entered that game with expectations that it would be a three- or four-score loss to the Steelers, the way we had played against the Ravens the week prior, I felt pretty good that the Steelers were going to whip up on us, but that wasn't the case. I'm I'm trying not to get too high on Hundley. I really felt good about him after the Chicago game. I liked what I saw as in terms of him moving around in the pocket and looking for receivers. So I'm trying not to get uh, too high, gang, because I know that roller coaster is never good for your psyche. No, that's that's definitely not. But, you know, a, a good showing nonetheless. Uh, before the show started, we were talking about how we think the road to the Super Bowl in the AFC, basically whoever gets home field advantage between the Patriots and the Steelers, because we all know Big Ben on the road is nothing. And, God, you know, no offense to the Green Bay Packers, Joe. I don't want to offend you, but, my God, do the Steelers ever play down to their competition on a weekly basis, or up to it for that matter? Absolutely. I kind of had a little bit of an inkling that something like this could happen after we watched the, the pregame footage where Tomlin was already talking about the Patriots game, which at that point was three weeks away yet, and he was marking that on the calendar and getting his team prepared for that. I don't think you ever want to uh, sleep on any team, maybe the Browns, but any team in the NFL. And I don't, even with Hundley at quarterback, that was probably a mistake in the Steelers' part. I agree with you that they tend to play down at competition, and I think that was certainly the case. Sunday night. I think the Steelers are better than the Packers, much better than the three-point deficit, that's for sure. Yeah, next week there's a lot of good matchups. You got Carolina and New Orleans next weekend. You got Minnesota, Atlanta, Philly, and Seattle. Lots of uh, playoff implication matchups and uh, certainly things to watch. So I think football might be on the upswing, thank goodness. Now, usually we start with our recap with the passing leaders, but 
let's be honest. I mean, this day <laughs> belonged to Julio Jones. So we're going to start with wide receivers. If you had Julio Jones, congratulations. You, you cashed. You. I mean, you definitely cashed somewhere. If you didn't cash and you had Julio Jones, then um, you should just stop playing daily. Because <laughs> could you imagine that lineup? I'd love to see the lineup that didn't cash and had Julio Jones and what it looked like. What kind of crap did you possibly surround him with? But uh, the ownership of Julio Jones, obviously he was the winner in the Millionaire, uh, millionaire Maker contest there. Uh, 44.8 points, 12 catches, two touchdowns, 250 receiving yards, 15 rushing yards, and even caught a ball from Mohamed Sanu, one of those touchdowns. So Julio Jones, Joe, I mean, how bad is Tampa? Can we just troll them the rest of the season going forward? Well, I was saying thank you because, of course, I rolled with Julio Jones. This is, I knew this was going to happen. It was because I had Julio Jones – in a dynasty league, we talk about DFS for so long, but a season-long league, I had Julio Jones. I traded him away, so I knew for sure that he was oh, going to go off. You need so to I put had... that on blast on Twitter when that happened. I can't believe <laughs> you right. left us hanging. How could you not say, alert everyone, I just traded Julio. Get him in every lineup. <laughs> You're right. I probably should have put that out there. But I rolled with a Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger lineup, and it was really one of those things after Julio had that game I felt pretty confident also knowing what I had with Antonio and Big Ben that I felt pretty good with my money lineup. So, yeah, I, I don't know if it's – I mean, the Buccaneers' defense obviously struggles. I honestly thought it was going to be more of a Muhammad Sanu game. And truthfully, with that touchdown pass, it kind of was too, but he didn't do that much more receiving. It was all Julio Jones. And to me, as a DFS player, this is a big news because he's a guy that we couldn't use, in my opinion, for a lot of the season because he was so high-priced and wasn't able to, to put up the points that we need him to get for the price tag that he's at. No, you're right. And he's 24% owned. So, you know, that's what his ownership was in the, the million dollar contest. And, you know, it's, you know, I guess that shows you that people still like and still believed in Julio enough to have him be there. And I'm a Julio owner in, uh, in my Roto football season long league. And this was a huge, this was like having, you know, three games <laughs> in one contest. So right. yeah. I shot up quite a bit in, in those terms, but you know, really, when you look at Julio's day, I mean, it's a great one. But really, this goes back to the point of why hasn't Atlanta done more to get this guy the ball in his hands? And even even with the you know the fifteen yards rushing too, that that carry he had, that's what you need to do. Yeah, um, Keenan Allen, obviously, this week we you know had a huge week. We talked about that already. But Antonio Brown's the other one, ten for one sixty nine, two touchdowns. I was a thank goodness Antonio Brown owner this week, uh, so that was good. That kind of saved my bacon in a bunch of contests, <laughs> or I was trying to catch up to Julio. Uh, but obviously the millionaire maker winner had both that combination in there. That's, that's a, that's a big one right there. Robbie Anderson, six for one forty-six and two touchdowns. Now I got to say Anderson, I was off. I thought he would have a hard time and struggle against Carolina. He didn't at this point in time with that jets offense is Robbie Anderson. I know this sounds crazy. Is he matchup proof? That's exactly the conversation I had with a couple of my league mates uh, prior to this podcast, I, I too thought Anderson was going to struggle. And Jermaine Curse, for what it was worth, he had seven catches, 105 yards, and a touchdown too. That was ridiculous to me to see both those guys go off. I felt, you know, just looking at the box score, that was a weird game altogether. Cam Newton really didn't do that much. It was a lot of the defense and special teams that kept the Panthers close. I actually think Anderson is trending to be matchup proof at this point. It's such a weird season overall. We have a guy like Robbie Anderson, who's six foot four and 105 pounds, it looks like going off and getting two touchdowns, 140-plus yards. He really has become the apple of Josh McCown's eye. And I wonder if that's not a thing that we just need to be targeting more for DFS purposes because most weeks he's probably going to be priced where we can use him in just about every lineup. Now, Rob Gronkowski had two touchdowns in this one, and he was – you know, we talked about on Friday how he was – 
price suppressed, which was a weird thing. Whenever you see a seven in front of Gronk's name, that's when we say buy, buy on Gronk. Uh, I was very high on Delaney Walker. He was my tight end du jour. He also came through and, you know, it was comparable at least to Gronkowski and a lot cheaper. Also, Zach Ertz back on track, which was good because last week off the injury, he did not look great. That was kind of an issue. Uh, another guy, let's go over to the rushing. We'll kind of circle back. We'll go in reverse this week. Uh, Joe Mixon. Now, that was a tough matchup for him because that Cleveland front has been very good against the run. And 23 for 114 in the touchdown. This was a real big game for Mixon. And going forward now, as long as that price kind of stays, you know, reasonable, I find it hard not to believe that Mixon can be a useful running back if this is going to continue to be, like I said, the new threshold, that he's going to carry the ball 20 times no matter hell or high water. Because I think that's what he needs. He's that kind of rhythm running back where he needs to touch the football. And Cincinnati, I mean, how long is it going to take them to figure it out? But I think they finally are figuring it out in the last week or so. Right. I agree. And I, I really believe it's because Marvin Lewis's job was on the line. He's been around for so long, despite oh. mediocre seasons from the Bengals, that at some point you just need to put your biases aside and use the best players out there. I have not been a huge fan of Joe Mixon. And truthfully, I still am not. I, I, I think that he's not nearly as good as a lot of people have talked him up to be. But when you're getting 20-plus carries, when you are younger, when you are fresher, because he really hasn't been utilized much this season, well, of course you're going to be starting to see some, some numbers start to produce. And I really think he will be a guy that I want to utilize for the rest of the season, especially if he's going to be used in the passing game too, because I think that's where he makes his bones. Okay, he gets 20 carries a game, but if he also gets three or four targets on those screen plays, he's going to be able to make that, produce, or that production there. I feel pretty good if he's hovering around that 7K to be utilizing him over someone like Kareem Hunt or – uh, you know, even Mark Ingram, who I know didn't have a Kamara-like day, but he's been pretty good thus far. I feel pretty good saving some money using Mixon most weeks. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that statement too. Uh, Dion Lewis, 15 for 112. Look, everyone wants to bitch and moan all the time about the Patriots running backs. I don't know why, because they're cheap and they've been producing if you know how to pick your spots with them. And Dion Lewis, yet again, a useful day. Alvin Kamara, we were all over. Another good day for him. I mean, this guy's just... I mean, he's money in the bank right now. Elvin Kamara, he might be the best offensive rookie. You know, for a while it was Fournette, and now, you know, that seems to be slightly tailing off, and Kamara seems to be on that upswing. But let's talk about Tevin Coleman. I was a little concerned, too, how they were going to use him in this game, but, you know, the 19 carries, that's where you want that number to be somewhere around 20 at 97 yards, and not one but two scores. And more importantly, like I know it was Tampa, but he looked good running the football, Joe. Tevin Coleman, I, I heard you guys on the Friday podcast talking about that, and I didn't quite understand. You know he's going to be getting at least 25 to 20 touches right around that range, whether it be through the ground or through the air. And I think when you're getting a guy like that, just like what we were talking about with Mixon before, you know Coleman's talented. You know he's fresh because he's been splitting time with Freeman for most of the season. I felt really good about him. I wasn't anticipating two rushing touchdowns. I thought maybe two touchdowns could be two through the air. Because I think he's more of a pass-catching guy than a running guy overall. But I, I, Coleman, to me, was an automatic play. And so long as Freeman's out, I'm going to keep utilizing him in DFS. I couldn't really fit him in my lineup this week with both Julio and Antonio Brown. But he's one of those guys I feel great about. Can I double back, though, to the Saints? We're talking about Elvin oh, Kamara yeah. and how great he is. I don't know if you realize this, but Ingram has a, a clause in his contract. But if he gets to be an all-pro Oh, yeah, we talked about that. He year, gets to be a free agent, yep. He gets to be a free agent. So, does I mean, again, this is DFS podcast, but in a season-long league, does that boost Elvin Kamara's value? Because I think Ingram's probably close to an all-pro status, maybe not going to get that, but he's one of the guys in contention. 
Oh, he's certainly in contention. Uh, we'll see if he continues to, you know, get the workload that they've been able to share and both be productive. I think they can be. I think this is the formula. And if, you know, I understand they're coming off a loss, but, it, you know, the formula isn't broken. So don't try to fix it anytime soon. Um, I think he and if Coleman continues to play well, I think Devontae Freeman both will be in different places next year. Ooh, and even with Freeman's contract, even with Freeman's contract, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they tried to make some moves and kind of shake things up, especially if Atlanta should miss the playoffs, which I think is a distinct possibility. So if, if that happens, I would look, expect him to be in a new spot. And I, and I think it's time to, for, you know, the saints to turn the page and let Mark Ingram go be Mark Ingram somewhere else, because they clearly just have always underutilized him. I don't know why yeah. Sean Payton hates him so much, but he just does. And, you know, for fantasy purposes and for Ingram at this point in his career, you know, I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see him just be the singular guy because I think he can do it. And there's not a lot of guys when we go up and down this list, Joe, that we could say that about. I agree. And I actually think on the flip side, I think Kamara can be the guy too. Now, the Saints probably won't utilize him as such. I think he has more benefit if he gets a little bit of rest and a little more utilization in the passing game instead of just running the ball. But he could be talented enough to do both things. I think that they actually – slow the pace down Ingram just a little bit to cut his numbers in. I don't know for certain. My guess is that they could do that because really his contract is up, not this season, but the next season anyway. And by that point, they're not going to want to pay him much money. So it behooves them to kind of cut down his numbers just a little bit, to get him out of that race. Cause I think that they wouldn't want to pay Ingram four or five, six million a year for a five, four or five year contract when they could really keep him around for one more year after that. Well, at this point, I prefer Kamara slightly in daily just because of the extra catches. You know, it's to I mean, me those I'm little cheap. Right ex- yeah, I mean, because they're both right in the same wheelhouse within a couple hundred dollars of each other every week now, uh, or even a single hundred dollars price. And I'd always rather pay, or in fact, I'll pay even a hundred dollars more for the catches. You know, those extra little points, they add up. It's the difference between you missing and making a pay line. Uh, over on the quarterback side, Jared Goff, hey, 354. Two touchdowns, a pick. It's not always pretty with Jared Goff, but at a certain point, I think we all have to recognize Jared Goff has turned the page on what was teetering on being a bust early (laughs) number one overall pick. And, you know, he's played well. This was a tough matchup. I know it was at home, but still the Saints have played very well. Now it was without Lattimore, we know, but still uh, a really good showing for Goff. And Roethlisberger at home goes back to being Ben Roethlisberger, 351, four touchdowns. Uh, so all is right with the world, right? When Ben Roethlisberger's in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I don't know about that. More like all's right in the world when they face that, when they face that Packers secondary. I think that's <laughs> kind of more the benefit. And I was all on that being a Packers fan. I knew exactly what was in store for Roethlisberger. But I was surprised on Jared Goff. And I'm not sure you could find a more negative person in terms of Goff's talent than, than me, at least entering this season. I felt really good. I was sitting on my high horse talking about how I thought Carson Wentz was the better quarterback overall and Goff should not have went number one, much less in the first round. He's really proving my wrong, uh, proving me wrong, and I'm I'm eating I'm eating crow here at this point talking about it. 354 against that Saints defense. It wasn't just Lattimore that's out. I think it was the second cornerback too that was out for that Saints. Yeah. But still, 354 yards. You're going to look at Cooper Cup's numbers: eight catches, 116 receiving yards, and say, "Ooh, maybe Cooper Cup's the number one guy." A lot of that came on one really broken play where the quarterback yeah. just gave up on that. I, I'm not looking into Coop's or Cooper Cup's numbers so much, but I think. I think Goff's here to stay. Um, I will jump ahead on the gun here. Mr. Bling Gaber, you talked about in your oh, Friday podcast. Gabelle. Oh, Gaber. You need to now say, I'm holding you to this. Every single time 
you talk about him, you have to say it in the French accent. That's that's. Oh, Blaine Gabert. Oh, W against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars. I don't even know how to say Jaguars in French. I don't know. Well, they, they probably don't. No one, no one even talks about the Jaguars in France. Let's, let's be honest here. I will say the flip side of that matchup, though, I swear to God, Blake Bortles watched me <laughs> in that Thanksgiving Day uh, holiday matchup. The, the families, too. They, he watched me at my quarterback spot make that run. That second touchdown was exactly what I did in my Thanksgiving turkey game, too. So he was watching the footage of that game and utilized it against the Cardinals in that game. Nice. I love it. I love it. Brett Hundley, by the way, you know, going back to your boys, three touchdowns for him. I don't think anybody saw that coming, but I don't think any of us can trust that. Josh McCown continues to be kind of a sneaky low-end tournament play, 307 and three touchdowns. And one note, too, uh, on defense, we talked about how the Patriots are a turnover machine lately. And guess what? They were, uh, you know, seven sacks. Uh, two picks, fumble recovery. <laughs> I mean, 17 points later, uh, certainly a good one. Also, the Tennessee Titans turned out to be a pretty good one as well uh, with the eight sacks on the day for them, so on the defensive end. So let's go over and let's take a little uh, look ahead to the Monday-Thursday, and then we'll peek ahead to Sunday a little bit uh, coming up next week, or should I say this week now. Uh, we've got the Houston Texans going up against the Baltimore Ravens tonight, and then on Thursday, Washington at Dallas. Now, these two games, you know, on paper, <laughs> in the beginning of the year, maybe you had some some buzz about, but kind of a wacky situation here. The Cowboys, I mean, they are sputtering out of control. And when you have them isolated on a slate like this, where if you're playing Monday, Thursday, have to play them. Is this a spot where you say, okay, there's opportunity because of ownership, and maybe they finally pull it together a little bit and have some respect for themselves with a, you know, in-division matchup? Or do you do the opposite and just fade them all together, Joe? I think the way that's priced right now is that you can actually afford whatever you want to do. I'm personally fading a lot of the guys. There's some conversation. I think we'll get to it about Des Bryant and what you kind of want to do there. But you look at Dak Prescott and his numbers, I don't feel great about even against that porous Redskins defense overall. I think they've really been uh, hindered by injuries. But I'm staying away from that. I'm staying away from Alfred Morris, too. I'm going the other way and going with a lot of Redskins in my lineup. I think the Redskins probably win this game. But it is at Dallas, and that's the only caution to the win there that you got to think about, okay, are they going to show up? This is a home game. Another primetime matchup against a team on Thursday night. They didn't do very well against the Chargers. You didn't uh, toot no. my horn for my picks from last week. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I'm going Redskins, but I, I feel a little bit more confident about the Cowboys than I did last or this Thursday against the Chargers. All right, don't look. Just take a guess. How many fantasy points on Fandle does Dak Prescott have over his last two games? I'm going to say he's got combined over the last two games 13 points. No, not even close. Lower. <laughs> wow. I thought I was going pretty low with that. Uh, I thought you were too. Eight. Lower. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, just just spill the beans 6. here. 6.96. 6.96. Over his last wow. two games. Two games, he's got 5.16 against the Chargers, and he had one in change against Philly the week before. It's the picks. He's got five picks. The turnovers are killing him. He's got a fumble over that time too. At a certain point here with Dak, I mean, we were rolling with Dak with Elliott there. I mean, he looked phenomenal. We were playing him all the week in cash games all the time. I was loving it. And now it's a disaster. And it makes you really – look, Kirk Cousins, we know what Kirk Cousins is. Crowder's looked healthy. That's been a real positive. 
Uh, he finally looks like he's back. It's only taken him 10 freaking weeks, but still, <laughs> you know, he's back. It looks like, and healthy and the Crowder that I at least thought he was going to be. Doxon looks like he's playing well. I know Vernon Davis was quiet, but I would expect that not to happen two weeks in a row. So if people get afraid of Davis. So when you're talking about that Redskins stack, I think they're all in play. I would even put P right in there as well as in play as well. Um, the rest of the quarterbacks, you know, if you're going to fade this Dallas game, you got Joe Flacco, ugh, who you hate, and uh, right. Tom Savage, who you hate probably even more. So I don't know. You're to stuck. me, you you have it's to play Cousins. Cousins. It feels like best Cousins lineup wins Monday Thursday. Right. I don't think that there's any other direction you can go. I don't know about you, but the media narrative really entering the season was that Dak Prescott is the best rookie quarterback in that class last year, or at least he was close to it. And he was certainly being pitted against Carson Wentz this season up until their matchup. Um, and I, I never really felt like Prescott was that good. I also don't know if he's that bad, like as bad as we've seen the last two weeks. Elliott and him being out should not be that big of a difference maker, but it clearly is. And until I see the ship righted, I'm not going in that direction with Prescott, even at A200. It's Cousins and nobody else at quarterback for me on the Monday Thursday slate. Joe, I feel like the Elliott thing is as important as it is that he's not on the field. I think it's kind of a, a morale thing too. I feel like they lost their identity. He was their identity. There was something about him and I, I, him not being on the field, I think, has crushed that locker room and taken the air out of the bubble. And I think football is such an emotional game. When the air goes out of the bubble, you know, it's really hard to pump it back up. I, I go back to the Super Bowl yeah. when, when you're watching the Atlanta Falcons defensive backs with Julian Edelman watching the replay of that Edelman catch, that incredible catch he made, and you see the shoulders shrug when they realize that it's a good play. <laughs> They're looking at the big giant Titantron there. And – you know, I think sometimes when the air goes out, you could tell it's like, that's it. It's over. And I feel like that's right now the Cowboys. Uh, and it's, it's a tough spot. I don't know if they can pump it back up. I really don't know. On the running backs on this slate, you got Lamar Miller, P. Ryan, Morris, Collins, and Woodhead. Now, I love Woodhead this week. I think he's the tournament play. I think he gets a lot more snaps. I think with that pass rush, too, of Houston where, you know, Clowney and those guys like to get at it. I can see a lot of dump-offs for Woodhead. Now, you didn't see a whole lot of action, but he did have six targets last week. So if he's playing more snaps, I could see that number going way up potentially. I agree with you. I'm, I'm on Woodhead's train, too. I loved him when he was with the Chargers. I think that he's a, a unique talent in the NFL overall, and I think that Ravens, really, from when I watched that Ravens-Packers game, they utilized him quite a bit in different ways that I was happy to see he is the tournament player, though, because really it's do you want Woodhead and you fade Lamar Miller, or do you want to have Des Bryant in there and then you go Woodhead? That's kind of the direction that I felt like I had to go inside of my lineup. Do you want a Des Bryant in there or not? And that's where this, I think your key to your lineup is going to be the most productive one is going to hinge on if you want to have a Woodhead or Alex Collins or if you want to have a Des Bryant and you go shorter at receiver or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right. I feel comfortable with Lamar Miller. This is another one of those spots where they go, oh, I don't want to start him against Baltimore for the same reason people didn't want to start mixing. But, you know, he's going to get his touches. He's going to get his carries. And with Foreman out, too, I don't exactly. care if Ellington's there now. Lamar Miller is a guy I kind of think, just like Cousins, if you're starting a lineup without Miller and Cousins, I think it you might be playing from behind. It's very possible. Uh, P. Ryan certainly in play. Honestly, I, I'm with you. I can't do Morris. Colin scares the crap out of me. You know, he is so, you know, look, there's one big play, and if you get it in a tournament, great. But I don't know. I just can't do it. Let's go over to wide receivers. Now, Hopkins is another guy. You know, you can easily fit all these guys in price-wise. And with the volume that Hopkins get, I don't care how bad Savage is. The target volume's just there. Is there a lineup you're making that doesn't have Hopkins in it? 
No, no. I think it's Cousins and Hopkins, and you put those two in right away, and then you kind of go with Justin Tucker, and then you go with the Baltimore defense, and there you go. Now you just you figure everything else out. Those are four automatic plays for me, and I don't. You can't go anywhere else but Hopkins. There, there is no reason to, in my opinion, to fade Hopkins unless you really are thinking it'll struggle in a tournament setting. But in cash game lineups, you're, you're putting Hopkins in every time. All right, now if we're talking about playing from behind potentially with the Cowboys, I just want to point out too. Is Terrence Williams even in your vein? Like, if you're, if you're not going to go with a Des Bryant and go that route, would you consider, you know, especially if Norman's out there, you know, Des never plays well against good corners. That's just always the Des Bryant MO, which means to me, Terrence Williams has appeal. Now, I don't know if he has enough appeal to get in a lineup or if it's just a strict multi entry tournament kind of thing, but what are your thoughts on Williams in this slate? I, I'm not, I'm staying away from Williams. If I'm going to go a second Cowboys receiver, it's going to be Cole Beasley instead. Okay. And Dak Prescott, when he's looking, when he's under duress, he's looking for that check down guy. And whether it's Jason Witten or Cole Beasley, one of those two is going to do something. I'm going the Cole Beasley route. I'm not scared off by Des Bryant against Josh Norman. Honestly, their history together and how the media has really built it up. Think about all the commercial commercials. You see those two guys. Oh yeah. They're laughing simply. all the way to the bank, Joe. Exactly. I think that that's going to be actually another – they're going to play to that crowd. They're going to play to the TV setting there too. I actually feel Des Bryant and Josh Norman, that's going to be a good one. I feel good about using Des Bryant if for that reason alone. But I'm going to go – if a second receiver for the Cowboys, I'm looking at Cole Beasley. All right, let's talk about the Ravens receivers for a second here. I think obviously right away people will look at Macklin and think, well, there's a safer option. But Mike Wallace is the guy who's gotten the end zone the last two weeks. Absolutely. And I'm curious there, is there another potential fade? You know, the problem, there's a trap on Monday, Thursday in a slate like this, Joe, where people are going to have a lot of money left over and they're going to say, oh, I don't like this. You know, I, you know, I've got too much money on the table. But this isn't about leaving money on the table. This is about getting it right and getting the right combination of players. So Macklin or Wallace, is one of them right or both of them wrong? I'm sitting with my lineup right now, and I have 1,400 on the table. And I still feel good about that. I think that not only is Wallace an interesting play over Macklin, I think Wallace is the safer play over Macklin too. I don't think Macklin's going to be targeted in the red zone at all. And I do believe as bad as that Ravens offense has looked, they will be in the red zone on Monday night. I think that's going to be Danny Woodhead. I think it's going to be some Alex Collins carries. He'll probably go for negative one yards, but he'll at least get carries in the red zone. And I think it's going to be Mike Wallace. I really believe at 5,600, I'm taking Mike Wallace every single time over Jeremy Macklin at 6,400. That, to me, is – if it was flipped, I would still go Wallace over Macklin. I, I just think that that – given the red zone looks and how he's getting the touchdowns, I think Wallace is definitely the safer play, in my opinion. All right, looking ahead to next week, as I mentioned earlier, you got Philly – at Seattle. Now, Philly's been rolling, Joe. Uh, I mean, they just look like a juggernaut, but I keep saying the same thing about them, which, you know, who have they really played and how good are the quality of the opponents been? I know some of the teams on paper we've thought have been good, like Denver was supposed to be good, Dallas was supposed to be good. You know, all this stuff keeps going on, but you know what? They, they keep being shells of what they are, even the Arizona team when they got Arizona. I feel like they were the, kind the of a Panthers. Champion. That's the one game that I always think about when I'm uh, talking about the Eagles and how good they are this season. I think that Panthers game, I think it was at Carolina. It was a Thursday was. night. Yep. Given all the circumstances that they had to deal with, I thought that they handled that really well. And to me, that was the eye-opening that, okay, they're here now. And really, they handled the Bears defense that I have a lot of respect for, or I've gained at least throughout the season. They handled them pretty easily. I think that the Eagles are for real. And I've been saying that since that Panthers game. Do you buy in them into them enough, Joe, where – with all the injuries Seattle has been dealing with in their secondary that you would even can, you know, consider the fact of starting Wentz at eight K um, or, you know, is it not worth it? Cause you can go up to, you know, uh, you can go to Russell Wilson, at 82 on the other side of that game, or you can 
go Cam Newton or Phillip Rivers against Cleveland and they're at home. You know, is that a spot where Wentz is still appealing because of the injuries or is it unappealing because this is a tough place to play historically no matter what for any quarterback? I'm not scared off by that Seahawks defense. If there was Richard Sherman there, if there was Earl Thomas super healthy, if there was Cam Chancellor, I'd feel a little bit um, more cautious about playing him at 8,000, but I feel, I feel plenty fine. I, that offense is rolling as a whole, and I think you were talking about confidence before and how the Cowboys have lost it. The Eagles are playing with it in spades right now, and I really think that that's going to be a situation that carries over even a tough condition. But if you're talking about tournament play, how about my man Brett Hundley against the Buccaneers? He's at 6,500. That's you could cheap. Do worse. Hundley at 6,500. He's not going to do what he did against the Steelers. He's well, it's the Bucs, the so there, there's encouraging ideas. You know? No, he's, he, but but he's maybe not. it's a confidence builder, Joe. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe there's it a confidence is. builder. And the, you read the quotes afterwards, and he's kind of said as such that he played so bad against the Ravens that he had to do better, and that was what he was kind of saying. I really think the inverse is true here against the Bucs. He can't play as good as he did. But at 6,500, two touchdowns, 250 yards, come on, that – that seems to be easy money for me as a, as a tournament play at the very least. And if you're looking to make some easy money, over two and a half million players have won cash prizes playing on FanDuel. See what I did there? Transition. Yeah, you, that's why they're the professional. <laughs> that's right. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, sign up today at FanDuel.com slash Rotowire, and you'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription plus a free entry into the NFL Sunday Million, which offers more than one million in cash prizes with your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Rotowire. Void where prohibited. A couple of other quick questions for you. Case Keenum, this week, he's going to get the Falcons next Sunday. At what point, Joe, and I know this is a loaded question to ask a Packer guy, but at what point do we start giving Case Keenum some freaking credit here? I mean, (laughs) that is a very loaded question asking from a Packers fan. I really, if you're talking about a Bears quarterback, then I'll be much more uh, fan biased on that one. But I actually think that Case Keenum, for the most part, has done pretty well. I was impressed by what I saw especially given basically the Super Bowl game for the, the Lions being that Thanksgiving game, he really came out to play. He hasn't really crossed that 300-yard threshold. I think he did it once in the last four or five weeks against the Redskins, and that was a weird game overall. That offense seems to be clicking. I don't feel great about using him most weeks, especially given it's at 7,600. He's kind of right up there in price for quarterbacks. I'm, I'm just cautious. I wonder I'm, – I'm just curious if there's a game script that goes that Latavius Murray or Jarek McKinnon get all the carries – and it's Keenum getting maybe, you know, 20 throws a game. That feels like it's coming, especially if it's going to be a colder game where if they're playing. I know, again, Falcons, not so much the case. I'm worried about using him for most weeks, not so much the Falcons, though. All right, now let's go to the other end of that game now. Julio, how much carryover do we get against Xavier Rhodes? I mean, Rhodes did have some, you know, moments there where he wasn't great on that Thanksgiving game, but, you know, Julio Jones is a superior talent. We know that in, in terms of receivers. Is there carryover love where we go and we double dip with Julio Jones, or do we just say, well, it happened, and you move on to the next one uh, in true Bill Belichick-type style? He's 8,600, the highest-priced player on the Sunday slate overall. I Or not no, not the highest. He's well, the highest for, receiver, yeah, I should say. The highest receiver, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm, for that reason, I'm staying away. I don't feel great about I really think Xavier Rhodes is one of the better cornerbacks in all of the NFL. Maybe it's some NFC North bias, NFC North bias that I got going on, but I really think that Rhodes is – a premium talent. I did feel good about Julio against the Buccaneers and it felt good because he's healthy or he looked healthy. They wouldn't have done what they did with him using him out of that, you know, the reverse play and even the toss with Sanu if he wasn't getting close to hundred percent. That to me is very good news, but I'm not targeting him against Xavier Rhodes. I think we're asking a little bit too much. Maybe he's a tournament play that people fade him away, but given how he did last week, 
I don't think people are going to be fading him away, and I think maybe they should. All right, last question. How chalky is Keenan Allen paired with Phillip Rivers going to be next week against Cleveland? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty chalky. He really is looking great. Like, if we're talking about guys that are getting healthy, Allen, those quick cuts, after yards yeah. after the catch is incredible. And we were talking about that on the, on the last podcast where I thought at 8000 or what he was close to that price, but I thought it was too high. And I was dead wrong on that. He really is Rivers' go-to target, and he's making moves after the catch that I haven't seen in a long time covering the Chargers for a little while that I have been. I feel pretty good. But, again, second-highest-priced receiver. I'm not sure I want to go against the Browns team that I anticipate the Chargers. Maybe I'm wrong. I shouldn't be anticipating anything as a Chargers guy. I anticipate they get ahead, and they probably won't be having to throw to him as much. All right. Before we head out of here, too, just want to remind everybody that there were a lot of injuries uh, to the defense over in Atlanta, too. So check on that because I talked about Keenum before, but Adam Thielen's another one. He's only 7,800 going into Sunday's games coming up. Uh, I mean, it, it's pretty tough not to, you know, pay close attention to Adam Thielen and his salary because that, that guy just – Looking at all those guys, I thought, yes, I, I feel good about Adam Thielen, even a guy like Devin Funches at 7,500 against mm-hmm. the Saints, especially if they're missing their top cornerbacks like we saw in that Rams game. I feel pretty good about Funches and Thielen, but Thielen gets so many looks. And he really, again, Keenum's on fire, Thielen's on fire. I feel pretty good about that over Julio, Keenan Allen, or even DeAndre Hopkins uh, at 8,000. All right, you can follow him at JB Fantasy Sports. You can follow me at Joe Pizapia 17 For everybody here at Rotowire, have a great week of Daily Fantasy. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.